If you're 60 years old today, there's a good chance you'll live to 100. Are you prepared? Welcome to Your Longest Life, the podcast all about exploring how we can live our best life as we age. Here's your host, Ian Thompson. Good morning and welcome to Your Longest Life, the podcast about living to 100 and beyond. I always find that exciting, Barb. I don't know, living to 100. Don't you find that? Would that be exciting for you? I think it depends on the quality of life. I, I would like to say living um, a healthy life until 100. There you go. Then, I, then I'm with you for sure. Okay. Okay. I'm going to introduce my guest uh, today is Barbara O'Neill. Uh, Barbara is the owner and CEO of Money Talk, financial planning seminars and publications. Uh, she's an author of six books, 160 journal articles, 1,800 newspaper columns, a distinguished professor emeritus at Rutgers University, and a certified financial planner. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to my uh, Longest Life podcast. Uh, You're here because of your new book called Flipping a Switch, Your Guide to Happiness and Financial Security in Later Life. Um, Now, this has to be, uh, I was going to say with COVID, this topic is is more and more front and center, I think. Have you found that? Yeah. What I really found is I was finishing up the book when COVID really started to become an issue back in um, early March. And uh, and then once we had all the lockdowns and restrictions and all the impact that came out of that, I realized that a lot of the transitions that I wrote about in the book, because there's 35 of them, were the same exact transitions that people were facing as a result of COVID. So we were looking at um, a change in income, you know, mm. either up or down, depending on how people were affected. Uh, we were looking at people trying to cobble together a paycheck if they didn't have one, which is something people often do in later life when, you know, they have a little bit of Social Security, a little bit of, you know, um, part-time work, and they're kind of cobbling together. So we had a lot of that. We had a lot of people who all of a sudden had a whole lot of time on their hands and were trying to keep busy. Right. We had a lot of people who had a little bit too much togetherness. <laughs> with their family members and and that became an issue uh, yeah. so there was just a whole lot of things that I wrote about in the book that um, were almost like the same things people were going through so much to these the effect that COVID could almost be looked at in some ways as kind of a dress rehearsal for people retiring uh, just oh. because of all those issues being very similar now you've got the uh, book divided in three parts are, you know, financial, social, and lifestyle. And I thought I would just go through that, ask you okay, some questions sure. about those three. Um, my first one is, as a rule, uh, Barb, do you find people uncomfortable talking about money with a planner or a spouse? Are they kind of embarrassed a little bit? Do you ever find well, that? Well, you know, money has always been kind of a taboo subject. So uh, people can be uncomfortable with it. And uh, that's unfortunate because obviously you want to have conversations uh, with your, your spouse or significant other so that, you know, you're kind of on the same page with respect to goals or mm-hmm. um spending habits and that sort of thing. Uh, I think sometimes people will talk around money. They'll talk about it in a global way, you know, the economy, the stock market, that sort of thing, but maybe not so much in in a personal way. Right. 
And, and do you think that you find that is that because they're embarrassed? They didn't save enough as they're closer to retirement or they're in denial? Um, sometimes I think it's actually the reverse. People can sometimes be feeling like they have too much compared to others that they know, you know, that they don't want to be the one that's kind of standing out, you know, so it can go both ways uh, as to why people might be uncomfortable feeling that you don't have enough feeling that um, you've, you have more than others and, and people just tend to want to be private about their personal finances. I noticed something in your book you wrote about, you described someone as an ant. A N T. What is that? Okay, the ants and the and the um, the caterpillar. Well, you yeah. know the the ants. You know, think about the old fable. The ants were the ones that kind of um, prepared prepared ahead of time. You know, they 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 were the ones that set set food away for the winter, so to speak. And um, the other ones, the the uh, the grasshoppers, they were the ones that were kind of like partying. And so, <laughs> what I used in the book was the reference to an ant being kind of a, a person who saved throughout their entire working career and has um, quite a bit of money saved for their later life, and often has difficulty spending it down. That becomes an issue for a lot of people if you've been in this habitual savings mode. Mm-hmm. For 40 years, uh, it's very hard to flip a switch, as the title of my book right. alludes to, of and all of a sudden become um, a super spender. So that's an issue for a number of people. So I know one of the one of the comments for that uh, someone has has made who read your book was that they should be enjoying their hard earned money. Hey, I saved it for all these years. What about me? <laughs> I should do something with it, right? Exactly. And that's the, the whole first chapter of the book is if you don't spend your money, someone else will, because that's <laughs> fact. And, uh, but it, but it's difficult psychologically, because as I explained in the book, sometimes it feels like a loss to withdraw your own money, because mm. it's not like a market loss where the stock market has, you know, gone down 500 points or something like that. But it, it feels like a loss when you see the balance on your statement being less than it was you know, the month before. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's that's a difficult thing for people to do. And sometimes you just need to practice spending. <laughs> and and that's been difficult now with COVID-19 because people are have lost a lot of places where they could have spent money, you know, travel right. and entertainment and things like that. And that's why we have these double-digit savings rates right now. Uh, but this might be a really good time for people to try to develop uh, a plan for um, spending and, um, and and just thinking about those things, doing some research so that when they are vaccinated and feel comfortable traveling again, uh, they'll have the, those plans already worked out. What about the, uh, the thought that, you know, I'm, I'm 63 and I'm going to live to 100. That's my goal. Am I going to run out of money? Do you hear people saying, hey, wait a minute now, how, how much can I possibly save you know, in practical terms, if many people passed away in their 70s or 80s, and if society, we seem to be, I mean, basically anything that's wrong with you, the government's going to put a new heart in, put a new leg in, put a new hip in, <laughs> patch us up and keep us going. That's the good news. But is there a concern that people have about running out of money? 
Oh, absolutely. That's the number one fear that retirees have when they ask survey, have surveys of older adults and they ask them, what do you fear most? It's running out of money. I mean, healthcare is up there too. Those are like the top two that mm-hmm. people are always concerned about. And, and, and that would include long-term care concerns as well. So it is a concern. And I think that's one of the reasons too, where people are hesitant to spend because they, they want to, um, make sure that there is enough so that they don't run out of money. And, um, and, and there are tools. A, a lot of people will, will hire a financial advisor and, and they can run these things called Monte Carlo simulations that can kind of get at, you know, probabilities of having money last. Usually they look at a 30 year period. Um, you know, so people can kind of get a better sense of where they might fall as far as, whether they will run out of money or if they do indeed have enough. Can you discuss the 4% rule? I do in the book, but I, I, I say that it needs to be used with caution. The 4% rule, let's, I'll explain it just so your, your mm-hmm. listeners know. The, the 4% rule is based on some re- research that was done in the early 1990s that um, found that if people had at least 50% of their portfolio in stock, so that's a big if, uh, they had a high probability of having their assets last uh, 30 years uh, if they withdrew about 4% of the, you know, the amount of their savings, their nest egg every year, and they, and they assumed a 3% inflation adjustment. So that was the all 4% rule. But, but, but again, that research is like three decades old. And there's okay. been some recent research that suggests that because um, interest rates have been so low, particularly on you know, fixed income securities, for a long period of time, I mean, even since the Great Recession of the 2008 era, uh, we may not be able to do that. Uh, so in that case, or if people are very conservative and don't have half of their money in stocks, then they should be using a number lower than 4%, like maybe 2.5%, And on the on the flip side, if people work longer and maybe they um, don't you know, retire or leave the workforce until their mid seventies, then maybe they can take out a little bit more because their chances of living to, you know, 110 mm-hmm. or something would yeah. be, um, be a lot less. So, so again, it, it just, need, what I say in the book is that people just need to use it as a base to build on and okay. then look at their own individual situation, how they're invested, you know, what their age is, when they're going to step away from the workforce, and then tweak it, and then maybe use one of those um, Monte Carlo simulations. I would use a couple of them, because they all have different assumptions, and you want to get a range that kind of is the same on several instruments to feel comfortable with the results. And um, you can do that yourself, or you can hire a financial advisor that can run some analyses for you. Do you find that people that are coming to see you after they've after they've talked about this, they've decided to work longer? Are you seeing people think, hey, I you know, was going to be 65, but now maybe it will be 70? Well, I mean, I think COVID has really put a damper on a lot of that uh, thinking because what I read recently is we're close to about 4 million baby boomers that have left the workforce since uh, February. So for a number of reasons, whether it's ageism, whether it's um, 
you know, mm-hmm. fear of the virus and, and being at a higher risk with your immune system. Uh, problem is sometimes people don't have control of, over the events that dictate the length of their career, you know, because um, health is a big issue. Um, right. Caregiving is a big issue, and then layoffs are a big issue. So we've seen just so many layoffs, and a lot of senior people who've been laid off. And by senior, I mean you know people, experienced workers, people mm-hmm. have been there for decades. They they're going to have a hard time getting reemployed, and many of them have already found that. So um, I think it's it's going to depend on on the type of work that people do and the demand for that work and um, you know, how the economy bounces back. Mm-hmm. I found this quote this morning. I wanted to read it to you and get your thoughts on this. It says, by the time you've worked long enough, hard enough, real life begins to reveal itself as something other than effort, other than accomplishment. And I just, that stuck out with me this morning. Lady named Patricia Hample um, had that quote. And I wonder, you know, for a lot of us you know, driving to work, and save, and and then you sort of get there, and you kind of like, ah, is that really what what it was all about? Do you have people feeling like, what else can I be do here? You know, as we move off the financial part into the social part, what's my role now that I'm retired? I've I'm no longer this driving person trying to accumulate. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know. that's a big issue for a lot of people. I mean, how I handle it myself is I just continued to be the driving person, but I work for myself now instead of Rutgers <laughs> University. Okay. Uh, but I've seen, I've seen, it, you know, these last few months with, with COVID so many, I, I moved to a 55 plus community here in Florida and I saw so many people who predicated the move based on the idea that they could move freely. They could go back and forth to visit their family. So they didn't care about, you know, moving 1200 miles away because it's just a plane trip. And then right. now they're stuck and they, they can't visit their family. They can't go traveling. They can't, you know, go to concerts or things like that. Yep. And and they quit their jobs. So they, 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 they <laughs> you know, there's, there's, and they can't, and, you know, maybe some are doing volunteer work, but even that, you know, some of those opportunities have dried up. So, uh, so it's, it's difficult. Uh, but, but that's a big piece of later life is, is figuring out what your next act is going to look like. Yeah, that, the second part that we, we talked about financial, the social part, obviously the changing relationships is a big one. What thoughts are you, do you have on that? Well, uh, you know, a job can be a big boundary <laughs> and it can it can be a good excuse sometimes to, to get out of things. You know, you say, oh, I'd love to help you, but I'm busy, I'm working, that kind of thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden you lose that excuse and <laughs> you just need to negotiate what works for you because otherwise people will make assumptions. You know, they'll assume that they can get free, get free daycare for their kids. But, you know, you got to have that conversation, you know, with your with your children. How many days do you want to take care of the grandchildren? And and just find something that fits your expectations. So just discussing expectations becomes so important because, again, otherwise people assume that you're going to do a certain thing. And, um, 
you know, and, and just having discussions about like moving closer to family. I mean, you may think it's a great thing. They may not think it's so great. Right. <laughs> so just having those conversations um, in advance of making major decisions, particularly, you know, about housing and moving and that sort of thing. That's just really important. Uh, the other thing to think about, too, is just because you have free time doesn't mean they have free time. So, um, you know, when I interviewed some people for the book, they were telling me about, you know, former co-workers who just keep coming by the office and they disrupt the whole, you know, people want to be polite, but they got to get their work done. And, you know, yeah. so it, it, people can do that with, with family members too. They, well, I, I have time now, I'm here, let's do stuff. And, and you know, and, and everybody else is saying, well, you know, we, we've got a job, you know, we're busy. So just, you just, just realizing what, what the boundaries are and 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 coming up with some boundaries that you feel comfortable with some of the research I've done said that um, uh, relationships ending divorce separation later in life are on the rise mm -hmm. now that of course has a huge impact on your financial world are, are you are you finding that in your work and your research that you did Oh, yeah. I mean, there were a couple chapters that I kind of alluded to that, you know, the too much togetherness chapter. And then also um, at, at the end, when I talk about life events, like great divorce and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's that's a big issue that people need to uh, think about. And again, work can be a, a big buffer. You know, it, it, you, you can let a lot of things slide when you when you're working because you're, you're busy and you know doing your job and commuting and everything mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden when you have uh more time and particularly time together you know that sometimes can be yeah. a recipe for for people realizing uh, maybe that their expectations are different about what they want to do in their later years and 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 it can lead to some you know, breakups and relationships and, and, and that's happening. Yeah. And that would be a huge impact in your financial, wouldn't it? Yeah. And they're talking about that with COVID too, they're doing the same thing. There was just an article in the wall street journal last week about COVID has, has kind of produced the same thing. People working yeah. at home and they're spending all this time together and, and you know, maybe seeing things that they wouldn't have seen if people were away you know, for right. half the day, and now they're there 24 hours together. And so, um, again, that's why I'm thinking like COVID is in many ways kind of a preview of what life might be in later life when you leave the workforce. The, um, the other thing that we notice, that I've noticed here in Canada, and, and perhaps you do too, is uh, loneliness, loneliness. And that is more of an issue now as people mm -hmm. retire. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and again, COVID's been a preview on that, where people are working from home and they don't have the the workforce, uh, workplace atmosphere, and you know, talking around the water cooler and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it is important, and um, people need to figure out ways that they can continue to maintain contact. So whether it's joining um, clubs, volunteerism. 
any of those things are really important, even just Zooming with family and friends. I think the one nice thing that has come out of um, COVID is that we've all up, upped our tech skills. And I, yeah, I here we everybody, are. <laughs> everybody in, in my uh, family is, um, is using Zoom and we're going to be doing a big Zoom holiday family thing this weekend and everything. So um, those tech skills that we've learned during the pandemic can be useful um, throughout later life just to maintain relationships with people if you do move away and you can't see people face to face. Just kind of doing that, I think it would be helpful. Uh, but you have to be proactive at it. Otherwise, I guess there's a tendency for the people just sit at home and, mm-hmm. and that's not really good for long-term mental health. Yeah, mental health is a huge part, isn't it? Like it's becoming, I don't know if it's the number one, but it's certainly seems to be more talked about, more uh, awareness of it again, as you said, because of COVID. Okay, the last part of your book was about lifestyle. And uh, you mentioned, I know downsizing, that's what I do. I'm a realtor and I help people 45, (laughs) you know, 45 to 75 make that transition. Uh, you know, we talk about COVID and the impact of that. I had clients this year who had downsized to a nice little patio home, you know, a thousand square feet, perhaps. And mm-hmm. about halfway through for COVID, they phoned and said, geez, you know, I like my, my, my partner, but I don't want to see him every day. There's no yard. There's no nothing. So they mm-hmm. sold it, bought a house again. So, you know, downsizing has become transitioning. And, and you talk about that in your book, don't you? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this whole chapter that kind of talks about downsizing. So basically, you have three options when you want to get rid of that five-letter word called stuff. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. can either uh, sell it. I mean, that's obviously the preferred method if you're willing to put the time into it. And, um, you know, that could be Facebook Marketplace. It could be eBay, Craigslist. Even... Um, in, in many areas in the United States, they, they have neighborhood groups on Facebook mm-hmm. where that's even more ideal because then you're likely to get somebody if it's big stuff like gym equipment or something like that. It's somebody that's right in your area that can come by and get it. It's not like somebody that's like five states away or something. Right. So, um, you know, the selling it is definitely a, a preference that so you can get some money. And then, of course, there's gifting it. So who do you gift it to? You gift it to family members if they want it. Although there's been some evidence that the young millennial generation, they don't really want the older generation stuff. And in fact, uh, we are at a record high in this country of 18 to 34 year olds living with their parents. So they're, they're not even on their own to, to use this stuff mm-hmm. because they're still in mom and dad's basement. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you can gift a grade to a family member, otherwise, you know, thrift shops, and that's a great place to, to give um, things to. I volunteered at a thrift shop when I lived in New Jersey, and I do that here in Florida, too. And every thrift shop has its own policies as to what they will take. You know, some will take gym equipment, some won't, or electronics or whatever. So you got to find out what they take and what they won't take. Um, but, you know, that way it's kind of a win-win for everyone because the, the seller gets rid of their stuff buyer gets a good deal the nonprofit right. that runs the thrift shop gets funds to 
support their mission, whatever it is. And then the environment wins too, because the stuff doesn't end up in the landfill, which is the third way to get rid of junk mm -hmm. <laughs> is to throw it out. So you could gift it, sell it or throw it out and um, throw it out. Um, you're probably going to have to do this over a period of time if you have a lot of stuff. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, in most places, they're only going to take two cans a week. So you can't just put out a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to have to portion it out over um, a period of years. So, I mean, for me, I, I, I did 30 garage sales in 2018 and 2019 with my husband before we moved. And we did that basically May to September for two years, you know, when the weather was good. Right. And, um, you know, it, it took a lot of planning. And during that same period of time, we were also putting out our two cans a week. <laughs> for a, a long period of time. So, uh, and, and giving a lot of stuff to thrift shops too. So it, it, it's not something you can just say, oh, let's, it's like that commercial that you see now where you, they, they, they have the person point to things. I don't know if you've seen that commercial. Yeah. You point uh -huh. to it and it's gone. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't happen like that in real life. If you've got a plan and you've got to, um, you know, pack up stuff and examine it and everything. So a lot of planning that goes on. And then a lot of people do have garage sales, so that's part of the selling process too. If you're not doing online selling, you can do um, a garage sale. But there you got to, you know, find out what the laws of the place where you live in are you know so you're not in violation of those laws um and then if you are able to have garage sales again you need planning you need what i did when i had mine is i had the dollar table the three dollar table the five dollar table so you kind of had to you know lump things and then you would have things that are the same kind of together so you want to make it really easy for your your buyers that come to your garage sale to see what you have and to find everything and to know what it costs so that's all part of that process too. And um, again, it just has, takes time for people to do that. It's interesting that you've just downsized yourself. What would be your thoughts on, is there something now that you've done it, you and your husband are going, ah, geez, we should have done this or we forgot about that. Was there, there must be. <laughs> well, um, not too many, but of course last week I had to go out and buy, a I, I went out and bought a treadmill because we're actually getting some mornings in Northern Florida where it's like 30 degrees. Ooh. And I left, I sold my treadmill in New Jersey. It was one of those really big ones. Yep. And we have a, a gym here with 50 treadmills, but mm. I don't feel safe. Okay. So, so because I don't feel safe with COVID and it's nice. too cold <laughs> in the winter, <laughs> I, I went out last week and well, I, I couldn't even go out because they don't really sell the small treadmills in stores. I had to order it online. And okay. um, so, you know, I did, I did replace that. Um, we did buy a hot tub here because, again, it, a lot of it was because we we're, we're replacing things that we don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. using in a group setting because of COVID. Right. Um, what about uh, just your thoughts on having less stress in your new life? Like you've, you know, the people you're, that you're dealing with that are downsizing and they're, you know, how do they get that stress-free life that we're looking for that we imagine, wow, I can hardly wait till I'm retired and I can just kind of chill out. Well, I think the 
one thing that um, you have going for you is time flexibility. I mean, I work for myself. I probably work the same number of hours as I did when I worked at Rutgers, but I can um, I can time shift them at, at all different times if I want to uh, go to a computer club meeting or watch a webinar or something. I you know I kind of time shift the work, so the flexibility is really good. Uh, you do get about 2,500 extra hours when you leave a full-time job. So that's a lot of okay. hours for people to think about. You know, if you figure, you know, 50 weeks, let's say you had two weeks vacation. So 50 weeks times 50 hours, if you figure a 40-hour week and commuting and stuff. Um, you know, that's 2,500 hours. So uh, that's a lot of hours to fill. And, and, and I think people just need to be proactive and think about, okay, what do I want to do with that time? Uh, I advise in the book that you come up with what I call, well, it's not what I call, it's what Stephen Covey called in his book, The Big Rocks where he used that analogy that if you're trying to think about the big priorities in your life, you put the big rocks into a jar first. So that might be family or job or whatever. And then all the little pebbles and other things can kind of go in, you know, around mm -hmm. the big rocks. But if you put all the pebbles in first, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get the rocks in. <laughs> so um, it's kind of like the same analogy. Like you'll want to decide what the big rocks are because 2,500 hours is a lot of time. But if you can, you know, if you're spending you know, that time volunteering or on a hobby or golf or whatever, as long as it's something you enjoy, babysitting the grandchildren, whatever it is that makes you happy that you want to do, and you're doing it because you want to and not because people expect it to be done, um, then you'll have your big rocks. And then it's a whole lot easier to kind of fill in the rest of your day. I mean, I find personally that my days really aren't any different than when I was working full time because I, I still have about the same amount of free time, but I have much more flexibility. I go walking in the morning now um, where okay. when I was commuting, I couldn't do that. And I was going on the treadmill at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and that's not a good thing to do. All the experts say, if you want to get a good night's sleep, you shouldn't be working out right before you go to bed. So now right. I don't have to do that. So the flexibility is, is important. So just to wrap up now, you talked, you know, your book is called Flipping a Switch. You've got so many good ideas in there. Can you summarize? Can you give me the top three takeaways for people that are entering into this thinking? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think uh, number one would be to develop um, some plans in advance before you flip that switch. And... Um, you know, whether it's, you know, volunteerism, whether it's, um, you know, starting a business, coming back to your original employer as a contractor, um, doing something completely different that you weren't doing during your main career. Just just have a plan is, is really important. Um, the other thing that I found in the book is the concept of identity bridging. And what that means is that if you can carry through some things from your working life to your post-work life, that makes the transition easier because you're not going cold turkey. You're, you're, right. you, you might still be involved in 
the local political club that you're always involved with or your church or whatever, or maybe you're still doing the same kind of work that you were kind of doing before, but maybe for in a different setting or um, so that makes it easier. So think of, you know, that might be something that people will do regardless of their plans to work or not is, you know, what parts of my identity do I want to keep um, going into later life and, and what things do you don't want to do either? You know, you can get rid of those. Um, so, so I think that's important too. So we've got the planning, we've got the identity bridging, and um, I would say just take really good care of yourself because later life is going to be a whole lot easier when um, you're in good physical health. So just take advantage of those extra 2,500 hours that I talked about to you know to 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 walk to. Um, you know, to, to do strength building exercises. They're talking about that's importance to, to, it's yeah. not just um, aerobic and, uh, you know, t- just take really good care of yourself, all the screening things. And of course, right now, you know, wearing that mask and that distancing is so <laughs> right. important. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been great, Barbara. Thank you. Your book is, your new book is called flipping the switch. A great flipping title. a uh, switch because <laughs> there switch. is a, there is a the switch. So I want to make sure they get the right book. Flipping okay, a switch: you. your guide to happiness and uh, financial security in later life. And where can we find it? Find it on uh, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon? if you just go okay. to Amazon, just just t- type in "flipping a switch" on Amazon, and um, it should pop right up. Sounds great. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time today, and I want to wish you a merry You're Christmas. You're quite welcome. Okay. Same to you. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Longest Life with Ian Thompson. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and share it with others. For more info, articles, and to get in touch with Ian, visit yourlongestlife.com.